Welcome to the Strip Tilt Farmer Podcast, brought to you by the Pluribus Light from Dawn Equipment. I'm Michaela Pockner, Managing Editor at Strip Tilt Farmer. In today's episode of the podcast, Sam Taylor, Bravo Research's Executive Director of Research for Farm Inputs in the North American Market, explains his projections for high seed prices in 2023, plus gives us his analysis of the potash, nitrogen, and broader fertilizer markets. My name is uh, Sam Taylor. Uh, I'm Executive Director of Research for Farm Inputs in the North American Market. And uh, I'm part of a global research team that analyzes the farm inputs. So that's what we refer to as the, uh, the seeds, the chemistry, the fertilizers, and then more into the ag productivity side. So some of the biologicals, but also farm economics and things in that aspect. Okay. So what does the landscape look like for seed in 2023? I think the landscape is probably quite inflationary on a, based on a 2022 market. And this is really for a couple of reasons. Uh, first and foremost was the cost incurred by the seed producers. Uh, they bear all the same inflationary pricing that growers have seen over the last couple of years on fertilizers and inputs in general. And then secondly has been the run-up in stock commodity prices uh, as a result of the Russia-Ukraine crisis. So those are probably the two key catalysts for why we're likely to see um, seed pricing possibly probably go up in the double-digit percentage year over year. And what can farmers do to deal with those inflationary prices? I think, uh, so what can they do? There's a limit to necessarily do too much with it. What they can do is potentially shift purchasing patterns, prepay using different forms of financing options, so vendor financing kind of solutions. Those very often are quite an appealing uh, source of credit, particularly in a high interest, higher interest rate environment. But as far as necessarily offset a lot of this, you probably have to look towards the other uh, inputs to really mitigate these kind of high pricing. Um, we had some farmers that had told us that there were cover crop seed shortages, and I was wondering if you had any we insights haven't really on that. Heard about that. That's interesting. I hadn't heard about that. I will have to have a look into that, I'm afraid. Uh, cover cropping is not as widely used as potentially it should be. The last thing a seed company wants to do is be holding inventory because it's just a massive drag on working capital and on the pricing dynamics in the industry. So it wouldn't surprise me if there was not an overhang of inventory and there were pockets in the geography where you couldn't necessarily get exactly the cover crop that you want. That wouldn't surprise me at all. But I hadn't heard of it. I'm not sure how much it would really concern too many growers. I think they might be there just make another decision. What is your outlook for some of those other inputs? It seems like on an almost daily basis at the moment, we're seeing uh, ammonia prices in particular go up. I think several of the in-market producers have sent pricing up 10%, 15% either today or yesterday, depending on where or you are in the North American market. And this is as a result of the European natural gas dynamic and the uh, potential further upside in soft commodity pricing, given the hit to yields from weather. Um, but it is primarily that first factor. It's You've got somewhere in the region of 70% of European ammonia production is now curtailed. Not urea production, some urea production, some UAN production, some nitrate production also curtailed. And this is really as a result of the high natural gas price in Europe. 
Um, even in the North American market, we've got about $10 per MMBTU pricing, and that's one of the highest prices um, we've seen since probably mid to late to early 2000s, so like kind of 2008 kind of time period. Whereas in Europe, it's at about $92 per MMBTU. So their production, nitrogen production platforms are completely not cost competitive. Um, the spread and operating costs to actual underlying price is somewhere in the region of $2,000 now. Um, so you'd need some kind of convergence or you need to turn off the switch. And they basically decided to turn off the switch. And this is likely to persist until we see a rebalancing natural gas prices or a meteoric run-up in nitrogen pricing. But even if we don't see the meteoric run-up in nitrogen pricing, we're going to see upward momentum as a result of, um, we're likely to see upward momentum as a result of uh, curtailed production and tighter supply and demand balances. And I think there's still quite a long way to go in this. And this did happen last year, potentially to a lesser extent than it's happening now. Uh, the scale of curtailment last year didn't get as high as it is now in Europe. And what this permeated in, what this led to was conversations around, does it make more sense to plant corn or soybean? Um, and we're going to face those same questions coming forward, that the high cost of nitrogen should growers be switching to soybeans. And I think the probability is that those lower yielding acres, their, their affordability their return on investment on nitrogen might make them look potentially at other crops instead. And what would that do for the markets if more people are starting to look at other crops versus planting more corn or soybeans? I think soybeans should be fine. Obviously, soybeans being a legume, it sequesters nitrogen from the air. So it's more of a question of do they switch from corn to soybean? Um, it would be inflation, further inflationary dynamic towards corn pricing. And I'm not the best person to speak to the actual pricing forecasts, but I would say that they are more constructive for longer than we have had, certainly in the last few years. Um, so our baseline view is that irrespective of input pricing, there should be scope for profit next year for North American growers. The gross profit outlook might not necessarily be as strong as 2022, but there still should be some fairly decent margins for growers in the North American market. And what do those margins look like in comparison to 2022? Below 22. That's the view at the moment. Okay. But I would say that this time last year, um, we were talking about a tighter margin environment and then the Russia-Ukraine crisis happens. So you kind of almost conditioned at this point to say, well, we can't be too deterministic on it because we don't know what the next exogenous factor is going to be coming sure. down the pipe and it's going to change. I have to change our assessment. I think as regard other inputs, there's probably a slightly different dynamic. Potash seems to be creeping down slowly in price. Uh, there seems to be more potash in the market than um, had once been feared. Russia seems to be back exporting um, phosphate and potash at a comparable level to prior conflict. They're basically exporting the vast majority of nitrogen products, excluding ammonia at that similar level. Um, the concern on the potash is the Belarusians still being shut out of the market to a certain kind of extent and having to reroute their products. But when we look to some of those key importing markets, um, we look at some of the fundamentals, it still looks like there is um, an amount of potash in the key markets, Brazil, 
North America that should or could see some pricing come down a little bit for growers. So you're predicting potash pricing will come down. Is this next no, not year? Not necessarily. No, even now, it's still kind of creeping down a little okay. bit. And I'm not, this isn't like a, a precipitous fall off or anything like that. It's just that the fundamentals suggest that there is the run-up in pricing post-Russia-Ukraine conflict was to attract potash to markets and out of fear of scarcity of how much volume was going to leave Russia and Belarus. Those have been abated. The kind of seasonal components have been abated a little bit. When we ran into the summer fill for potash, um, retailers and distributors were happy to sit back a little bit and see the price pull off a little bit, which suggests that actually they might have an amount of inventory as well. We've heard from some of the retailers in the industry that there is their, they still feel they're sitting with ample inventory. So there's not the same inflationary pressure on potash that there is on nitrogen. Okay. And how dependent are North American growers on the potash that's coming from Russia? Not really, but it's a global balance sheet. The vast majority of the uh, um, imports of potash come from the Canadian market. But I think last week there were four ships of potash parked outside the Gulf waiting to be unloaded. So we do get potash from Russia and I don't think we've had any issues really of getting stuff. I think that there has been uh, pains to point out that there's a risk of overcompliance and that sanctions were very often tied towards individuals or companies associated with individuals, but not necessarily on those products. And that's inclusive of the soft commodities as well. Uh, a lot of the concern has been uh, insurance, traders, um, um, like association risk that has delayed the payment risk, these kind of things. Um, and there's also just a reluctance. There's certain companies which are controlled by Russians who are under direct sanctions. So they needed to disassociate themselves with these companies before um, they would trade with them. But I was speaking to a European retailer this morning and they are still waiting for confirmation from their central bank as to whether they can still trade with this particular Russian exporter of product. Until they know that, they're not trading with it. So it just means that not everyone is within the market willing and able to trade with them. Before we continue this conversation, I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, the Pluribus Light from Dawn Equipment. Dawn is bringing today's innovative farmers a new strip-till product from the regenerative ag-focused underground agriculture brand. The Pluribus Light is priced like a strip freshener, but it offers the features and performance to be used in the fall or spring as a primary strip-tiller or strip freshener. It's the perfect complement to a cover crop system that just needs a little blacker strip. Check out the Pluribus Light at johnequipment.com. Now let's get back to the conversation. Talking about your analysis for the nitrogen market, uh, could you just go over uh, what you're expecting? I expect a decent increase in pricing. I think that on a seasonal basis, you could see a 20 to 30% rise between now and the end of the year. And I don't think that that necessarily counts for um, the risk premium that's involved there. So it could be materially higher. Okay. And I would expect it to be materially higher, to be honest. Uh, um, and I mean, what having is... jumped 15% yesterday in price 
in Iowa. So, what is the risk premium? Uh, the, the, basically, just the risk price to the upside. Risk price. And can you explain to me how that factors into pricing, and then why that would influence this projected twenty to thirty percent? No, the twenty to thirty percent is basically a, a normal seasonal cadence, ostensibly. You know, there are basically two real demand periods for. Well, it's a bit. It's a bit more than two, but there's key demand periods. There's a kind of a summer, app, uh, like a, a fall application and a spring application. And just because growers want product at that time, there is a seasonal like cadence to it where prices tend to increase for their fundamental base at that point. And that 20 to 30 is a kind of normal seasonal swing from say midsummer, full demand, oh, sure. and then back down, then it goes up again in February. So that kind of spread, 20 to 30%, is quite a normal price spread. So you pencil that in as just in any normal year. So between now and say fall, you could see that 20% price increase. But given the fact that you've got high natural gas prices and natural gas is accounts for about 80%, 70 to 90% of the cost of producing nitrogen. And you've got, it's unaffordable for European producers to produce nitrogen. There is just a risk that we get into this scenario where there's not enough nitrogen ostensibly at the current market price, so the market price goes up. And it, it really wouldn't surprise me if we got a 40% increase in nitrogen between now and the end of the year. I'm not forecasting that, but it could be quite a significant magnitude of difference between what is now and what we see, say, in February pricing for nitrogen. And a lot of this will come down to like things beyond our control. Like if we have a really cold winter, and there's high domestic demand for natural gas, that's gonna tighten the gas balance sheet, that's gonna send natural gas prices up, that's gonna cause even more difficulty for nitrogen producers to uh, produce stuff, and that's just gonna raise the price. Okay. So if we have a mild winter, that's probably quite supportive of prices not going to their worst kind of scenario. But you, at the moment, you have to look at what's happening in Europe, and you have to have a look at what's happening in the North American market. Where is most of the nitrogen that North American growers are using coming from? It's predominantly coming from the North American market, but we do also get uh, imports from other markets, all kinds of markets. But it's a globally traded commodity. So just because we're not importing it from a certain area doesn't mean that we're not going to uh, feel the effect of the tightness in another market. Um, and actually, the result of Europe shutting down their ammonia production is that they're pulling in ammonia from North America to then upgrade into nitrates, urea, and UAM, which causes that tighter balance sheet in the North American market. So that tighter balance sheet has greater volatility risk when you come to those peak demand kind of dynamics. So there's just everything seems to be setting itself up for a lot of risk and volatility as we head into um, fall application and demand dynamics. Okay. There's just a lot of risk, I think, on the nitrogen side. That's the point that you don't want to make. And, and there's certainly, like our clients, so the farmers that we lend to, are pains to just highlight the potential that it could get a lot worse between now and the end of the year on nitrogen. Do you think that there's any relief to the increase coming? I think that the relief is going to be one of those unpredictable elements. You know, if 
the natural gas price suddenly collapses because they start to free flow send natural gas into Europe. Uh, I mean, maybe you could create the, the, the notion that the war in Ukraine goes so badly for Russia that they need to try and sue for peace. And one of their gestures to sue for peace is to allow more natural gas into Europe. But quite easy, you could use that narrative to say that they'd cut off natural gas altogether. So it's it's really hard to necessarily rationalize through any kind of game theory what would necessarily happen because Putin's a madman and like you can't really rationalize with a madman. Knowing that there's so many moving pieces and parts, what goes into your analysis and how are you factoring in that? What I would say is that everything we say at the moment is basically... It's non-deterministic. It falls within a parameter of uh, probabilities. So the probability assign this much that it will fall within a certain bandwidth. Uh, and it's easier to, uh, there's a tighter probability on certain products. You, know, you can forecast these things a little bit easier on certain products. But you have to look at things like seasonality, uh, core inputs, so that might be a sulfur, an oil, a natural gas, and then the underlying commodity as well. So like kind of a corn, a soybean, whatever it is. And then you have to make best judgments along with it. That's basically, I mean, all models are wrong. They end up, all models end up being wrong, but some are useful. So you run scenario analysis. So if you see X million tons being pulled off the market, what does this do? And you'd shock a model and go, okay, well, we think that this is the parameters of risk. But if, if this happens, then we think, okay, prices could react in this dynamic. So that's as much as we can really do rather than make a deterministic view that ammonia prices are going to be at $1,400 by December. It's too difficult to do that. And anyone who's doing that is a little bit of a cowboy. And anyone who's got fertilizer pricing accurate over the last 18 to 24 months has mostly got them right by being wrong initially and the market just happenstancing to hit to that point it's it's a very difficult and i was with a uh with a like um one of the better industry analysts over the weekend um who he told me he hasn't got anything right for the last 24 months literally nothing right for the last 20 months and that's just it's difficult it's very difficult and it's a kind of so it's a case of creating the parameters under which you can be right and that is being not declarative not deterministic highlight the risks highlight the leading indicators that could encourage a grower to make a decision because they're saying this 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 happened okay these are good signals that in two months time one month time prices are going to go up i'm going to make a move now and that's probably the best thing to be doing so it's going into tighter inventory in fall. How will that trickle down to the farmer and what can they do to prepare for that? What can they do? I mean, I think that if you know what you're going to plant, you could offset some risk by making purchasing decisions as soon as possible. Trying to take inventory as soon as possible. Pre-purchasing on some products, these kind of things. This is trying to create a scenario that is contiguous across a very diverse landscape. You know, some people don't have enough money to do this. Some people need to market their crops for this. Some people aren't sure what they're going to plant because they fall in a marginal acreage and you don't want to buy nitrogen and then plant soybeans or something like that. It's a complete waste of time. So it's, um, I would just, 
take the view that nitrogen is the most volatile input that they're going to face for their 2023 plant season. So in that case, knowing that nitrogen would be the most volatile, is that the thing that they should make the purchasing decision sooner rather than later? I can't give advice, but I if I was buying, if I was having to make decisions, I would be looking to lock in my nitrogen pricing. Thanks to Sam Taylor for today's conversation. The full transcript of this episode is available at striptillfarmer.com slash podcasts. I'd recommend giving it a read. As somebody who's not well-versed on market forecasts, I definitely gained a better understanding of Sam's analysis after reading it. Many thanks to the Pluribus Light from Dawn Equipment for helping to make this Strip-Till podcast series possible. From all of us here at Strip-Till Farmer, I'm Michaela Pauchner. Thanks for listening.